If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, join me at the book of <clears throat> Exodus. Can I get a thing of water there, William? Uh, book of Exodus, chapter 32. Um, we're going to be there for, uh, for the day here. Uh, next week begins the season of Advent. And Advent is in the church calendar. It's the way we get our year going as Christians. As Christians, those who observe the church calendar, the year begins and the year doesn't begin on January 1st for the Christian. The year begins when God sets things in motion. That's when the year, and Advent is the time when we celebrate God setting things in motion through the coming of Jesus. And so uh, we're going to be in Exodus 32 uh, today. It's kind of a pre-Advent kind of a message here. And I want to read the passage for us, and then we'll pray, then I'll go into our our text. Uh, But hear the word of the Lord out of Exodus 32. I want to talk about when waiting gets hard. When waiting gets hard. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, that's like saying, as for this dude uh, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Aaron is Moses' brother, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would open our eyes so that we may see what you want us to see. Open our ears so that we may hear what you want us to hear. And Lord, open our hearts so that we may receive every good gift you have for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. 
There's nothing that quite unites us in the experience of being human quite like waiting. No matter who you are, at many points in life, you will have to wait. Whether you are rich or whether you are poor, you're going to have to wait. Whether you are old or whether you are young, you're going to have to wait. Whether you are highly educated or not highly educated, you're going to have to wait. Whether you've been a Christian for one week or you've been a Christian for 40 years, you are going to have to wait. And waiting is difficult because it reminds us that ultimately we are not in control. When you have to wait for the subway, you realize you're not in control. When you have to uh, wait for your spouse to get ready to leave the house, you realize you're not in control. When you have to wait for your children to do something you've asked them to do, you realize you're not in control, no matter how high you raise your voice. We all know what it's like to wait for someone or something to come, and most importantly, we know what it's like to wait for God to come. We wait for God because God says God is coming. When God said that God is coming, we often don't know what that means. It reminds me of a daily occurrence in our home. A few times a day, I'll call my daughter from one part of the home or, or my son from another part of a home, and I say, hey, guys, come over here, and they say, I'm coming. And when they say I'm coming, that means absolutely nothing. That means absolutely nothing. And I think they've learned it from me because my wife from time to time would say, can you come over here? And I say, I'll be right there. And that means after the commercial break, after the, after when the commercial, I'll be right there. Now, we feel this way with God, don't we? God says he's coming, but we often don't know what it means. And yet it is in the waiting that God is working on us. And I want to unpack that thought here, that waiting is often God's way of working on us. That what God does in you as you wait is more important than what you are waiting Four. And this is what I want to unpack in Exodus 32. To understand what's taking place in Exodus 32, we have to step back for a moment and look at Exodus in its entirety. Because the book of Exodus is named in this way because there was a powerful moment when God moved in history. The people of God had spent 400 years in slavery to Pharaoh. 400 years. Imagine as a nation being in slavery from 1617 to 2017. That's a long time. But even though they got through the Red Sea, even though they've been delivered from Pharaoh, even though they didn't have to work for Pharaoh any longer, even though they could take a nap and rest, even though they didn't have to look behind their shoulder to see if Pharaoh was there, they still were not truly free. When the people of God are delivered out of Egypt, you would think that this would be the end of the story. A powerful deliverance has happened, and this is how the movie is going to end, because this is how movies typically end. In the movie, there's a monster, there's a villain who's been defeated, and after the monster has been defeated, after the villain has been defeated, kind of the movie ends. The credits roll up, and we go, that was a wonderful, wonderful movie. But in the book of Exodus, after the villain is defeated, after the monster is overthrown, it's as if the movie is just getting started. And the book of Exodus shows us over and over again that they just didn't need to be rescued one time. They had to be saved multiple times. And this is the nature of the spiritual life, that we are not just saved once. 
we are continually being rescued by God. And unless salvation is seen in these three ways that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, we're going to miss out on the comprehensive scope and beautiful nature of God's salvation. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. The truth is we, have, we might have been saved from one thing, but the truth is we need to be saved from multiple things. And what the Exodus points to is that the Exodus, that there was a greater Exodus that took place. The Exodus reminds us that there was a greater Moses that came on the scene, that there was a greater deliverer who came on the scene, that Pharaoh ruled the people of God for 400 years, but another Pharaoh, that is Satan, has ruled over people for thousands of years, but the real Moses shows up. The true Moses shows up. And God in the person of Jesus Christ dies and he resurrects and he essentially says, the Red Sea is now open, let my people go. And the people of God are able to, because of what Jesus has done, go from being in slavery into the promised land. And yet, even after we have been rescued by Jesus, we still need some saving. Can I get a witness here? We still need some saving. Now, after Egypt was, after Israel was delivered from Egypt, it was supposed to be an 11-day journey to get through the wilderness into the promised land. But an 11-day journey turned out to be 40 years. Have you ever been in a situation where it's taken you a little bit longer to get someplace than you originally intended? We know what this is like week in and week out when we get on the train. It should have been 15 minutes. Somehow it turned into an hour and a half. And sometimes I think that God operates on MTA time. It just, I, I just, I just, I just, lots of traffic, lots of delays, lots of unexpected waiting. And the question was, why did it take so long? It should have been 11 days. It turned into 40 years. And the simple answer is that God was trying to form his people. You see, you can be delivered from Pharaoh's Egypt, but that doesn't mean that Pharaoh's Egypt has been delivered from you. They've there for 400 years. To be formed into the people of God was going to take more than an 11-day journey. They needed to be formed in God's way. And so God is teaching his people how to live in true freedom. And part of that freedom is learning how to wait. And so when we pick up in Exodus 32, we see that the people of God are being trained in how to wait. And this is what we see here. Moses goes up into the mountain to be with God. Moses has been getting instruction from God, getting revelation from God. He's been going up into the temple, coming down, going up, coming down. And he's been delivering news to the people, what God has told him. And this is the context where we are to understand the, the receiving of the Ten Commandments. It's important to say that the Ten Commandments were given not to save the people of God, but to demonstrate how the saved people of God are to live. And that's really important. The Ten Commandments were not given to save us. The Ten Commandments were given to show what a redeemed and saved people look like. And in this portion of Exodus, Moses has been going up and down for 40 days, and during this trip... The people of God are anxious. They're wondering, where did Moses go? And in their anxiety, they thought maybe he lost his way. Maybe he died. Maybe God judged him. Maybe, he can't, maybe he's up in age. Maybe somehow he can't find his way back. And so they go to Moses' brother Aaron, and they say, they put pressure on him, and they say, we're tired of waiting. 
for Moses, who was a representative of God, essentially we're tired of waiting for God. Make a God for us. And Aaron says, okay. This is Moses' brother. He should have known, but he said, okay. Just a few days ago, God gave them a command not to make any graven image, not to make any idols, but anxiety will make you do irrational things. And you and I know what it's like to do irrational things when you're feeling anxiety, irrational things when you are feeling great fear. And so Aaron instructs the people to give him their gold rings. Now, the gold jewelry and the gold rings, a lot of bling here, a lot of gold there. They were supposed to be for the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, God says to Moses, These, the jewelry, the gold are to be used to furnish the tabernacle where I will host my presence. But instead of using it for the tabernacle, they use it to create a golden calf for people to worship. Now, there's a lot of sermons here. I, I mean, so many different sermons that I could preach on this one story. I can talk about the idols that we make to secure our future. I can talk about the deeply ingrained patterns that are in us year after year and how long it takes for us to be formed into the people that God truly wants us to be. But I want to point out one thing in particular, and it has to do with waiting. They had a hard time waiting. And the reason they had a hard time waiting is because they couldn't see what God was doing. And this is what I want to unpack for us. It's hard for us to wait, not just because we are impatient. It's hard for us to wait because we often don't believe God is at work in our lives. And if God is not at work in our lives, we should take matters into our own hands. If God is not active, then I should be active. If God is not moving, then I should be moving. If God is not initiating, maybe I should be initiating. And this is what we see in the story. Surely they were impatient, but what's beneath the surface of their impatience and what's beneath the surface of our impatience, often it is this. We don't believe that God is working for us. We don't believe that God is active in our lives. Now, to understand the significance of the golden calf, Eugene Peterson, great writer, he makes a great point when he says these words. He says, they did not want to live by faith, but by sight. They did not want to live in response to a God they couldn't see. They wanted gods they could use to get what they wanted, like the gods they had in Egypt, gods they could move around and force to make things happen, gods they could use to guarantee good crops. True, in Egypt, it hadn't worked to their benefit, but that was because they didn't own the gods. The Egyptians owned them. But after they were free from Egypt, they wanted gods of their own. They wanted to see the God to control their future. Now, the people of God had seen God work powerfully for them. The Red Sea opened up right before their eyes. They saw Pharaoh and his chariots drown right behind them. They saw God's redemption with their own eyes. But God was trying to help them to be a people who wouldn't need to see God active all the time to stay connected to God. Listen, it's easy to stay connected to God when you're being blessed. It's easy to stay connected to God when doors are opening. It's easy to to remain connected to God when things are going your way and opportunities are happening and favor is being poured out on you. It's easy to praise God when things are going right. But God wanted to create a people who are not going to be disconnected when they could not trace them. Essentially, God is saying, can you trust me when you cannot trace me? 
When you cannot see my activity in your lives, are you still going to stay connected to me? He's teaching them how to wait. What God does in us while we wait is more important than what we are waiting for. And so God, through Moses, is trying to teach them to stay connected. But their request to Aaron is is essentially about a couple of things. Namely, it's about the alleviating of anxiety. They had too much anxiety, and they wanted to alleviate themselves of this fear. Aaron, make us something we could see. Make us something that we could manipulate our future with. Why? Because waiting is hard. The question is for you, what are you waiting for today? What is that thing that you're hoping would unfold for you in your life? And when we look at life, we see that the reality of life is that we go often from waiting from one thing to waiting to the next. Some of us are waiting to get into a school. Some of us are waiting to get out of school. Some of us are waiting to get a job. Some of us are waiting to retire from work. Some of us are waiting to get married. Some of us are waiting to get unmarried. (laughs) Somebody clapped in the second service. We're not clapping for that, brother. Prayer team, surround him right now in the name of Jesus. Some of us are waiting to have children. Some of us are waiting to get rid of our children. (laughs) There's the individual and the personal waiting that we experience, and then there's the larger collective experience of waiting. We all long for war and violence to come to an end. We all wait to see oppression come to an end. We all long to see poverty come to an end. We wait for things to be made right. And and as we're waiting, we're waiting not just for something to happen. God's also trying to do something in us. He's trying to form us into a particular kind of people because what God does in us as we wait is more important than what we are waiting for. Now, this passage in Exodus 32 gets to the heart of sin. This is what sin is. Sin is essentially my kingdom come, my will be done. If you want to, you want to strip down sin to its core, it's my kingdom come, my will be done. I want what I want when I want it. I want to be in control. I want to call the shots. I want to do anything to relieve me of anxiety. But in the process of this, we mess up our lives and we hurt others in the process. And at the heart of this is the refusal to believe that God is active in our lives. It's so easy to believe that God has forgotten you, that God has better things to do than to deal with your life. And so what begins to happen is we impulsively make decisions. You hook up with whoever comes your way. We anxiously make decisions. You make forward on financial plans without getting all the details. We stubbornly make decisions. Sometimes we don't want to wait because we simply want what we want. And at the end of it, behind all this is often the belief that God is not working for me, that God is not active in my life. Is God working, we wonder? Is God active? Now, last week I experienced this. I went to this Japanese ramen spot in Hell's Kitchen, Midtown, and called Ipudo, I think I'm pronouncing it right, and good Lord, it was good. Japanese ramen, just these... 
Uh, the, these pork buns that will be in heaven, I know they will be in heaven when I get to heaven. First stop, Jesus, is there pork buns here? Is there, no, those pork buns, Lord. That's the one I want there. And every time they would come, it, it just sometimes you go to a place and it just takes a long time to get the food. And every time the server stop, I just, I just whisper, is the food coming? You know, is the food? Yeah, no, the food is coming. Oh, can I get some more water? Hey, is the food coming? And every time, no, no, they're working on it. They're working on it. And I, no, are you sure they're working on it? You know, they, they, this is a restaurant. They're working on it. Two minutes later, is the food coming or not? I mean, it smells good. Everybody else is eating. They got here after I did as well. I mean, why, is the food coming? Is it not? I mean, you know. And, and the lady kept saying, no, they're, they're, they're working on it. They're working on it. And I, and I realized, you know what? I, I needed someone to remind me that some stuff was happening where I couldn't see it. That there's stuff behind the scenes. That there's some people cooking some stuff up in the back. And I needed someone to say, no, 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 no. They're working on it. They're working on it. Isn't that what church is? Isn't that what worship is? Isn't that when we preach? Isn't that when we take communion? I'm basically saying, he's working on it. He's working on it. I know you're nervous. I know you can't see it, but God's cooking something up for you. Just hold on a second. He's cooking something up for you. And it's coming. And so it's hard for us to wait because we often don't see God working. And what complicates it is we all have our own timetables of what should happen and when it should happen. You say to yourself, by this time, I want to be married. By this time, I want a job that pays this much. By this time, I want to have kids. By this time, I want to buy a house. By this time, I want to be out of debt. And we have our plans, what what Henry Nouwen often calls false deadlines that we create for ourselves. And when we don't meet the deadlines, we feel a great amount of shame and pressure. We have a hard time waiting. And the deeper story is we don't believe God is active in our lives. Here it is. It's hard for us to wait, not just because we are impatient. It's hard for us to wait because we often don't believe God is at work in our lives. This is why Henry Nouwen, a great author, says that active waiting is waiting that pays attention. Is fully present to what is really going on, even when all to all outward appearances, nothing is going on. This is why, as Christians, why do we need to have a life of prayer? Not simply to get some religious goodies. We we need a life of prayer to discern, to, to pay attention to the ways that God is moving in our lives. Because our lives can get so full and so busy, it's hard to see, is God moving? What prayer does is prayer begins to slow you down. To say, oh, this is what God is doing. This is how God is forming me. This is what God is trying to do inside of me as I wait. Why? Because what, as you're waiting, what God forms in you is just as important, more important as what you are waiting for. We need a spirituality of waiting on God. But not a kind of passive waiting, an active waiting, a discerning waiting, an awakened waiting. A life that is open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so it's hard for us to wait, and yet God invites us to do it. And so the people of God, they, they couldn't wait. In Exodus 32, Moses was gone. They said, we don't know where Moses went. Their anxiety took them over. They wanted to manipulate their future. They said, Aaron, can you, can you do something for us? Make us a god. Aaron says, give me the jewelry. I'll make it happen for you. And then in verse 7, God overhears this. Isn't that something? God is with Moses, and he's with them. He says, oh, what's that? Then he says, Moses... This is what's happening 
down there. He says, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Now, a couple of things about this passage. There's a, there's a few funny things about this passage. Number one, God commands Moses to go down. And what he says is to, to, to your people. Up to this point, it's been my people. Unto Exodus 32, every time God talks about the people of God, he goes, my people, I delivered you. These are my people I love. Now they, they're doing something wrong. He goes, listen, Moses, your people, you see your people? Look what your people are doing, who you brought up. It's like God is like total disassociation. I, 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 even if it's a temporary disassociation, I can't mess with them. Your people. And Moses said, no, those are your people. No, those are your people. No, those are your people. And I understand this as a parent. I understand this. As a, sometimes I get home and the kids have been acting crazy and Rosie says, do you know what your kids did? Your son and your daughter. She just totally temporarily disassociates with them because, you know, I just don't want to identify with your nonsense for the next 30 minutes. This is not a permanent disassociation, but God is like, your people. And most like, no, these are your people. And they have this kind of your people tennis match happening back and forward. And, and so you know, Moses, uh, God says this to Moses. Moses goes to his brother and says, what in the world happened? He says to them, what did they do to you? That you led them in such great sin. Like, did they twist your arm that much? Were they hurting you? And uh, Aaron responds. Now, you just read the story. The first thing Aaron says, like, give me some stuff. Like, just give me some stuff. But this is what Aaron says. He goes, you know how prone these people are to evil? <laughs> they said to me, make us gods who will go before us. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire. And boom, out came this calf. I added the boom. I, 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 I added the boom. That's my version. I, I, I added the boom. <laughs> But that's essentially what Aaron is saying. I threw it in the fire. Boom, out came this calf. Just like right there. The, the text doesn't say that. This is what the text says. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. This is Aaron working hard on this calf. He's working on it. Then Moses comes, boom, I don't know what happened. I just threw gold in there and this thing just, uh, abracadabra, this thing just came out just like that. And so God says to Moses, Moses, he's so upset. He said, I just delivered these people. And we see kind of God's anger here. God says, now let me consume them. Let's start over. And this is what he says. He says, I'll make you into a great nation, Moses. And what he's doing right here is he's giving Moses the same command he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation. He says, Moses, I'm going to give you the promise now. Let's do away with these people, and let's start all over. And Moses doesn't go, no, that sounds like a, that's a promotion. That sounds like a really good idea. Instead of Moses saying, that sounds wonderful, Moses intercedes for his people. And it's a powerful moment. He starts arguing with God. He starts advocating for them. He starts speaking up for them. And what we see in this great moment is a powerful moment of intercession, so much so that God changes his mind. And in this moment, we see so many powerful things. We see the great man that Moses was. 
But we also see that Moses was a shadow of someone else who would intercede between God and his people. That person is Jesus. That Jesus is the true Moses. That Jesus is the real Moses. That Jesus is the one who advocates for us. That Jesus is the one who speaks up for us. That Jesus is the one who protects us. That Jesus is the one who stands in between and intercedes on our behalf. Eugene Peterson said it this way, God provides us with everything, a dramatic salvation, a thunderous revelation. And then in a moment of restlessness, of anxiety, of inattention, of boredom, of rebelliousness, we blow it all. But here's the surprise of the story. Great intercession and magnificent mercy. What we see in this passage is what what Romans says, what Paul says, where sin abounds, grace much more does abound. What we see in this passage is no matter how great your mistakes are, God's mercy is greater. No matter how deep the hole you get in, God's love is deeper. Lots of mistakes in this passage, but even more mercy. And this here is a microcosm of the entirety of the scriptures. And the story is this. We mess it up. And God intercedes for us in the person of Jesus, forgives us of our sin, offers us a new way forward. And so when we look at this passage, there are two things that I just want to close us with. What what must we take away? And it is this. Our impatience, number one, often is rooted in our belief that God is inactive in our lives, and we must reject this as a lie from the evil one. That God right now is active in your life. I know you might not be able to see it, and I might not be able to see it. This is why we need to wait in community and wait with each other and wait with people to remind us that God is active and God is moving. Because if left to our own devices, we'd be making golden calves all over the place. But we need people to remind us over and over and over, no, God is with you. God is here. God is working. And there will be days where you're the one giving that encouragement to people and then days that you need to hear that encouragement from someone else. We cannot wait alone, but our impatience is often rooted in our belief that God is inactive in our lives, but God is always active in our lives. And what God does in us as we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. But we also learn in this passage that our sin and mistakes don't have the last word, amen, because of Christ's intercession. Jesus is the true Moses. Jesus is the one who truly intercedes on our behalf. And your sin and your mistakes do not have the last word. Many of you came in here today, you're not getting life right and you're making mistakes. And we come into church this morning not to beat you up, but to remember that no matter how great your mistakes, God's grace and God's mercy is greater and his love is deeper. Where you see sin abound, you see grace much more abound. Where you see lots of mistakes, you even see greater mercy in our lives. And so with that, I want to give you an opportunity to pause for a moment and reflect. The truth is, we are often anxiously impatient. The truth is, we often construct idols to control our future. We put our trust in things that are not God. And yet there's other truths of this passage about God's mercy and intercession on our behalf. I want to leave you with these two questions and then we'll sing together. The first question is, where are you tempted towards impatience because you don't see God working in your life 
or someone else's life. We're often tempted to impatience because I don't see God working. I don't see God moving. Not just in my life, in somebody else's life. And I want to control other people now because I don't see what God is doing here. Where are you tempted towards impatience? And the second question is, where have you sinned that you need God's mercy? Because in a given week, we're going to be impatient. In a given week, we're going to say some things impatiently. We're going to do some things impatiently. We're going to hurt others in the process. And we need mercy. Mercy, mercy. And by God's grace, he never runs out of it. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment with these two questions before you. And then we'll sing together. But where are you tempted in your life towards impatience today? Where is life not unfolding the way you had hoped? And where are you beginning to gather the gold, as it were, in your life to create a future on your own? And where have you already sinned and taken matters into your own hands and done damage to your own life and to others and that you're in in need of great mercy? I wonder if you can just offer that to Jesus today and let him wash over you with his love, empower you to be the person he's calling you to be, to learn how to wait on the living God. Just take about 30 seconds of just letting the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, point out areas in your life, and then we'll sing together. Lord Jesus, we confess this morning that we have often created golden calves in our lives. We've often turned from you and put our trust in something else. And Lord, we have allowed our impatience and our anxiety to get the best of us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would deliver us from the evil one, that you would help us and give us strength as we wait. And Lord, in the areas where we haven't waited, where we have suffered the consequences, where we're still living with shame and guilt because of decisions that we've made, may we receive your mercy. And Lord, we sing to you because you are the one who is making all things new. We might not be able to see it with our eyes, but we see it with eyes of faith. You are making all things new. And so we sing to you now, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everyone said... Let's all stand. Let's sing together.
But for me, that's been my prayer today as I've worshiped over three services today. That's been my prayer, that I would remember that God is making all things new. And what what happens is, uh, I want us to sing that as as our prayer today. It's it's an affirmation that God is active. We're living by faith and not by sight. And what happens is we don't believe God's making anything new. We think it's the same old, same old, same old. And if anything new is going to happen in my life, I better make it happen. I better manipulate. I better control. I, I, I cannot have this openness to God. And yet we gather on Sundays to be dethroned to let Jesus take his proper place. If sin is my kingdom come, then righteousness is your kingdom come. Your will be done. And it's, so when we confess this song here, we're confessing that God is the creative one, that God is the good one, that God is the one who's making all things new. And what Jesus says in the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, these are some of Jesus' closing words to the church. The, the final things that Jesus says as the, book of the, as the Bible closes is, behold, look, he's saying, 
I am making all things new. In other words, pay attention. Look around you. I'm making all things new. So can we sing that with everything we have as just an affirmation of faith that, God, I can't see you. I often can't trace you. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to sing with everything I have. Let's sing that chorus together with everything we have as a declaration of faith today. and give the Lord some praise. Lord, we praise you, Lord. You are making all things new. You are alive and moving and active, Lord. And we celebrate you are risen and you are coming. Hallelujah. We give you praise, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's have the prayer team come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. We'll have Pastor Matt offer that. And maybe you come into church today and you just need someone to wait with you. And that's what the church is. We are a waiting community. We wait together in the presence of God. And if you've been waiting alone, that's, there's, that's no place for you to be. Filled with anxiety, panic attacks, checking yourself into the hospital because you are alone. And that's no way for a Christian to live. The Christian is meant to live in community with a community of people who are waiting. And so one of the ways we wait together is by praying with one another. And maybe you came in today feeling isolated, overwhelmed, and you just need someone to place their hand on your shoulder, anoint you with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence on your life, and say, God is with you. God is for you. He's active. Sometimes I'm the one who offers that, and sometimes I need to be the one to receive that. And at different points of your life, you need to offer that. And there are times you need to receive that. And if you need to receive it today, we'd love to pray for you. And to my right, we have the Lord's table. And we are reminded that Jesus Christ, we are reminded of the extent of his grace towards us. The extent of his love towards us. Where he would die on our behalf, he would intercede for us. And the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, offering intercession for us. And so you say, no one's praying for me. No, no, Jesus is always praying for you. Don't ever forget that. He's always, your, your name is always on his mind. So you're never truly alone. So when you take bread and dip it in the cup, you're reminding yourself that Jesus is with you, 
that Jesus is for you, that you are in the palm of his hands. And so you can come to receive it. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands to receive a blessing. And the reason we close with blessing at New Life is because the world is filled with so much cursing. And it's good to know that the blessing of God is on our lives. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, waiting a little better on the Lord, knowing that he is for you and he is with you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without faults and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the forgiving name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.